there if you would. And if you don't have a Bible um, and you're fairly new, we are one of those churches that uh, believe in going through the, the scripture. We call it expositionally, verse by verse. Uh, I was joking. We had some customers a couple days ago uh, saying, uh, how long has the men's group on Friday mornings been going through the book of Ecclesiastes? And I told them, I think it's been about a year and we're in chapter 10. They're like, a year? And I go, yeah, we do verse by verse, and we may get past one or two verses at a time, but uh, we're one of those kind of churches. So if you're new, we're in, Ecclesi uh, not Ecclesiastes, but Acts chapter 16, Acts 16, and we probably will be in Acts through the uh, end uh, of this year. So, and then who knows what God has in store for us, and who knows, we may not be done with Acts. We'll just see how the Spirit leads. So Acts 16, uh, turn there in your Bibles if you would. So I don't know if you guys have experimented with the, uh, the whole chat bot thing that's going out, you know, pretty popular right now, chat GBT, GPT, is that what it is, Josh? So Josh, our tech guy, give it up for Josh, um, who, uh, who is just so smart, and, you know, we grab lunch once in a while, he's like, hey, you need to check this out, and so I got a free account, and, you know, if you're not familiar with the chat bot, um, you can basically type in, write me a 500-word uh, essay on uh, the existence of God, and within uh, seconds, it will produce an essay for you. And so, uh, so this, is, this is now the, the controversy and the, uh, the wonderful uh, technology of today is the idea that you can just tell this AI what you want an essay on, and it will immediately produce it for you, and with surprisingly really good results, too. David was texting me this week some stuff like, hey, I'm playing around with this, and um, so there's, 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 the, there's the positive side of this, and there's also a negative side to this. You know, think about education, think about school, think about the potential that your surgeon who passed the bar may have not really passed the bar on his own, but maybe with the help of an AI unit. Um, but here's the thing. I just read an article this week saying, will AI and this, this, this chatbot technology replace the role of the pastor? And I thought to myself, no way in hell that's going to happen, right? Because, you know, it's all demonic behind the scenes, right? So, uh, so by saying that, I'm literally meaning, yeah, there's no way. Because here's the interesting thing, and I'll tell you why my job is secure as a pastor. Because all the AI can do is produce content. All the AI can do is transmit information. That's not what a pastor does. A pastor doesn't only teach. A, ta a pastor preaches. See, we're not here to get information about God. We're here to get truth from God. And an AI can never produce that. So I, I, I still sleep like a Calvinist. I am good. There's no robot that's going to take over. If you think about it, really, the, the, the search uh, in, in, within technology to try to come as close to what makes us human is, 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 is a fantastic journey. But there's something soulish about people that can never be reproduced through technology. So today, we are not here to learn about God. Today, we are here to learn from God. There is a supernatural element in what we get to do today that AI technology can never get us. So with that, Acts 16. 
And I don't mention hell just randomly because today we get to witness the powers of hell in this passage. What would God have us learn from a demon-possessed slave girl? Acts 16 is where we turn this morning. And we get to not only see the powers of hell seeking to destroy through the exploitation of this demon-possessed slave girl, we get to also see the powers of heaven and the ability of God to deliver. Matter of fact, let's, let's, let's look at the passage, and then we'll talk about those two points. The powers of heaven to deliver and the powers of hell to destroy. Acts 16, starting at verse 16, the writer Luke tells us this, that it all happened that as they were going in back to the place of prayer, and we went to that place of prayer last week, remember, down by the river where we met Lydia, who was this successful businesswoman who had a house in Hollywood and had a penthouse in Manhattan, and she was the seller of purple dyes and clothes, and uh, she sold to to Beyonce and Rihanna and all those popular superstars. And she was a really, really just an incredible businesswoman who uh, knew about God, but she didn't know God. Paul gets the opportunity to introduce her to God, and she's converted at the river. And she influences her entire entourage to believe as well, and they all get baptized. And then she throws an epic party at her condo in Philippi. And... Uh, so they go back to the river, right? They go back to this place of prayer, and a certain slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her master's much profit by her fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? And she continued doing this for many days. And then Paul eventually got really annoyed with her and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and they're proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept, to observe, being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning. Amen, church? First thing we're going to see and we're going to focus on is we read a passage like this and we're, we're wondering, right, will, will evil prevail? Will 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 evil have the last word? I'm sure some of us have asked those questions as we've gone through uh, events over these past few weeks, past several months, several years. Here's why I want you to know that, that God is always the victor, and he's the ultimate victor. 
the powers of heaven to deliver. We see this throughout scripture. That's our first point. And, and let's talk about this because we see it demonstrated right here. Acts is the, is the chronicles of the early church that God is on the move and God is taking what sin has brought into this world for ruin and he's restoring all lives who come to Christ. Uh, he's restoring them to their wholeness and what they're originally created to be. Praise God, 2,000 years ago, he's doing it in the book of Acts. Today, he's still doing it. See, the power of God is still moving, and he's taking those years sin has destroyed, and he's restoring them in Jesus Christ. This is the year of Jubilee. This is what God had promised in Luke chapter 4, right? When, when the promise of the Messiah came fulfilled through the personal work of Jesus Christ, that heaven is delivering, and we see that here before us. Even in chapter 16, we saw Lydia last week. She comes to know Jesus. We see this demon-possessed girl. Even though it doesn't say she came to know Christ, we get the idea because it's nestled between not only Lydia's story, but next week, the jailer's story that there's this church that's being formed and the slave girl who was once demon-possessed is now possessed by the Spirit of Christ. And what I want to say just right out of the bat, under this point of the powers of heaven to deliver, because someone I know in this room right now thinks they're beyond being forgiven. They're beyond being shown grace by God. They feel like they've committed maybe the unpartable sin, the unforgivable sin. They just think, I've done so much that God can't save me. Let's just talk about the extremities of grace. Can we just talk about the extremes in which grace will go to show you love? The Lord of heaven who comes down and who not only can save a rich, successful, influential businesswoman like Lydia can also save a down-in-the-dumps, demon-possessed slave girl who's unnamed as well. See, ladies and gentlemen, the grace of God is for everyone. Wow, can you think about that for just a moment? The grace of God is for everyone. In Christ, Galatians 3 says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female, black, white, slave-free. All of us can be one in Christ Jesus because we all stand on level ground before the cross, needing forgiveness, needing that grace. So the same Grace that changed the prosperous businesswoman we looked at last week is the same grace that brought this young slave girl out of her spiritual bondage. Neither woman could ever enter heaven because of their social standing. I think Luke wants us to see this and understand this. Of anybody on the outside, it would look like Lydia's got it all together. She's guaranteed in, but this woman who's demon-possessed, oh, there's not a chance for her. And I think Luke gives us a picture and says both of them have come to Christ in the same way, forsaking all hope in human achievement and merit and trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ to save them from their sin and bondage. Let, let's, let's talk about this because we constantly need to circle back to, to the topic of how are we saved. What I want to be clear about is that we're not about religion. Religion's focus is outside in. Religion is, if I only do, if I only earn, if I only achieve, if I only accomplish, let me just tell you right now, that is a dead-end street, futile for every single person born into this world. There is no outside-in assistance for us to even get close to God. Religion is all about what you can muster up and produce. And Jesus speaks against religion, especially in the great passage in Matthew 11 when he says, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden. Come to me. I will give you rest. When you hear him say that, don't you, this is your spirit just go, it's oh, good. See, religion's emphasis is outside in. We are not here to preach a morally therapeutic deism. That is just empty. God is not about moral reform as, as if moral reform can produce anything. Let me just tell you what moral reform produces, Pharisees. And we don't need more Pharisees. Some of you are like, what's a Pharisee? A Pharisee is someone who is ultimately legalistic. Boo, right? If you guys don't know the rule, whenever we say the word Pharisee, you have to boo at Monsieur Day. So we don't say it too often because it could go way off track. <laughs> but, but God doesn't want to change your behaviors and your attitudes and morally reform your life. He wants to capture your heart so that out of your heart, you become the person that God's created you to be. Which is the second point. What do we preach? What do we preach is regeneration, which is inside out. Regeneration is a work of God and a work of God alone. We don't, we don't want to set you on the path to say, tell you what, you know, incorporate these 10 things in your marriage to make it better. Or incorporate these seven things in your finances to, to make your finances better. Or incorporate Those things are good, but if we do not encourage the, the truth that says only God can change your heart, and then out of that changed heart comes your changed marriage and your changed finances, then we're setting you up for failure. We're making you twice a, 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 a captive of hell, and we don't want to do that. Regeneration is the work of God in a heart that is ultimately changed by the Spirit, and it's only a work that the Spirit can produce. That's what we preach around here. There's no religion. It's called regeneration. And I love it because you see this example, the extremes of grace. Here's, here's Lydia, and here's this unnamed servant girl. Paul had to approach each one differently. If you think about it, not everyone needs to engage, be engaged with the gospel in the same way. It's the same gospel, but the methodology has to change. See, Paul engaged Lydia intellectually. He had to engage the slave girl spiritually. See, he appealed to Lydia's reason, but he also had to deal with the slave girl's irrationality. Two different types of situations, same gospel. All of us are representing different situations in life. Here's the good news. The same gospel that saves me, saves Zach. And the same gospel that saves Zach, saves, saves Sean. And the same gospel that saves Sean, saves Mary. And, and so on and so forth. Amen? So my, my hope to you, for you, is that you would understand that the cross of Christ and the substitutionary death that he died on that cross for us is for every single one of us. And if you're here today, today's the day of salvation. It, it's for you, it's for me. So you have this woman of high degree and then you have this other woman who's the very dregs of society and they're both in bondage. The bondage on the outside looks different, but the inside of the bondage is that their hearts are far from God. And so the extremes of grace are... I, I got to live this, this this past week. So last Sunday, we did Jack's memorial service after the services here. And 
what is celebration of life? You know, 84 years old, uh, Air Force, um, uh, he kids and successful business. He was a pilot for a long time. And, but what was amazing was that I got the chance to share the gospel, right? Encourage people with a hope that will never disappoint in Jesus. But then it's the after conversations that are amazing. And, I'll, and I won't forget this. Literally, I had, I'll, I'll pick three conversations I had at Jack's Memorial. All centered on the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Each person was different. I'm talking to one person who's a drug addict. Pointing him to Jesus, right? And the approach and the content is, is, is different than another conversation, but the same objective is know and love Christ. I'm talking to a successful businessman from Canada who owns a lot of property here. Not a drug addict. He's, he's successful, right? But he still needs the same gospel. And then the last conversation I had was for a man who basically said, I, I've got something that's been on my heart for decades. And I want to know if I've committed the unforgivable sin. And he talked about when he was a young man, he knew God was doing something and he rejected it. And he had been living with this for decades in his heart. Am I forgiven? And I got to encourage that guy here at Jack's Memorial that as long as you have life and breath, anything can be forgiven by God. And so the, the same gospel got to be meted out in three different contexts. And, and that's our hope, right, is that God meets us all where we're at. And he promises to change us and never leave us where we're at. Where we're at. And we see this with these women here. So there's the extremities of grace, right? The, the extremes of grace. The same Lord is rich in mercy to all who call upon him, church. The same Lord says, whoever shall call upon my name will be saved. And my prayer is for every single one of us to have called on that name and find and taste and see that the Lord is good. But with the work of God always comes opposition. We see that here, right? Lydia, we're celebrating this woman's changed life last week, right? This woman and her, her, her household, they come to know Jesus. Uh, hospitality kicks in. They're having the biggest, best Bible study in Philippi. People are coming to know Jesus. And it doesn't take long for the enemy to creep in and try to sow seeds of disunity and discord. Which we have to understand, second point here, and we're going to tease this out a bit, is that there's this extermination of evil. Evil is still present. But one day, it'll be totally dealt with. It'll be totally dealt with. Right now, God is restoring lives. But there's an ultimate restoration yet to come in which all enemies will be placed at the feet of Christ as a footstool under his, his feet. He's reigning now. He will reign forever. Evil doesn't reign. Christ reigns. So we see a little bit of this teased out in this, this passage here because now we need to shift gears and we need to talk about this, this presence of, of evil that's happening in this account. So we'll go to the second point, the powers of hell to destroy. So Satan's going to do whatever he can to destroy the, the, the work of God. And we see this here with this young woman that uh, is, is possessed. If you look at verse 16, and it happened that as they were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination... Um, that word divination literally is python. And what it refers to is the cult of the python 
that was located in Delphi, which was this occult-type practice that was, that was popular among the Greeks. Young people, specifically women, would become possessed by this python cult and act in manic, frantic kind of ways. Matter of fact, the word fortune-telling in that same verse literally means frantic and manic. So what it became were these people that were like these priestesses of the temple of the python, having to do with the god Apollos, would, would shake and move and writhe, and they would communicate oracles and messages that people would hold so dearly on because it told of the future, and especially authorities and rulers would lean heavily upon this occultic practice. So can you imagine this girl is like, <laughs> and following these guys, but what's coming out of her mouth actually sounds pretty good. It sounds like it's in line with scripture. Notice what the young girl is saying. These men are bond servants of the most high God. Okay, good, check. We're, we're, we're orthodox. We're in line. And they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. So here is this interesting scene and it's been going on for days and part of me is going why does Paul allow it to continue because it says after a period of time he then turns to her and casts this demon out of her but what's really odd is that he allows it to take place for several days first thing you need to see in your notes is that there are those who deal with oppression and they're enslaved spiritually. This is where everybody is at without Christ. Everyone is enslaved spiritually. Though not everyone acts like this slave girl, praise God, that would be really weird. We're all enslaved spiritually, but here's this manifestation of this demonic presence. Now, we in our Western thinking look at this and go, it's made up. It's a fairy tale. Matter of fact, in America, in the evangelical church, upwards of 85% of believers don't believe in Satan or demons. The latest statistics, majority, 80, 85% of people in our churches don't believe in the existence of Satan or demons. And you want to know why is because the presence of something like this doesn't happen in our cultural context. But I guarantee if you go to a third world nation where there's practices where people would lean on, uh, on voodoo or witchcraft, there's definitely more of this sense of demonic presence in those contexts. Not here because those are not the gods of our age that we deal with. We deal with three gods in our culture, materialism, consumerism, and individualism. Those are our gods. And the, and the demonic activity is much more subtle in our context than if you were to go outside of our cultural context. But you need to understand the Bible's clear about the existence of Satan, the existence of demons, that there is a spiritual oppression that goes on, and, 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 and maybe the devil is just having a heyday deceiving us in our culture. Right? Like, Lewis... C.S. Lewis says the, the greatest work of the enemy is to make us think of two extremes. 
that there is no presence of evil, there is no Satan, there is no demons, demons and, and therefore if we don't think about it, then he's winning. But if on the other end, if we think that he's behind every single thing, my car won't start in the morning, my demon, the demons must be taking over my engine. Then if we think that the demons are everywhere, then he's also got us believing something that's not true. See, what you have to understand is that there are over 100 references to demons in the Bible most of them occurring in the New Testament, and every writer of the New Testament, except for Hebrews, mentions demons in one way or another. They are present. But for the believer in Christ, you have nothing to fear. While I believe that believers can be demonically influenced, believers in Christ can never be demonically possessed. Greater is him who's in you than he who's in the world. Amen? When the strong man comes and drives out the old owner of the house, that old owner does not come back. There's a new ownership, Jesus says, because a house divided against itself cannot stand. If you're in Christ, we need to be aware of spiritual warfare. This is why Paul writes the masterful chapter, Ephesians chapter 6. And the only weapon, offensive weapon in that passage is the sword, which is the word of God. He says, gird yourselves, right? Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. He goes on, but he says, but the only thing that you have to counter the work of the enemy is the word. And we see it with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 when he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself. So if you're denying the existence of Satan, then you're basically saying what Jesus endured was, was an illusion? Was it imaginary? No, it was a real temptation. And there in the, in the, in the wilderness... How did Jesus counter the devil by, by reciting scripture? Even though, and this is key, even though the, the devil recited scripture to Jesus, he was twisting it just a little bit, just a little bit, to make it sound like truth. But if you just mix a little bit of heresy in with God's truth, it is heresy in the end which I think that's important because look at what, what's going on here. It would seem, point number one, that there's a promoting of the gospel from this demon-possessed girl. She's saying all the right things. Hey, these guys are servants of the Most High God, that phrase is important, and they're telling you the way of salvation. <laughs> Bravo! It would seem like she's promoting the gospel. What she's shouting are true statements. And it seems like what she is saying is helpful to the cause of Christ. And maybe Paul's thinking, hey, this girl's on our team. But then eventually it shifts and it changes. Why? Because this is how the devil works. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, even Satan can appear as an angel of light, even able to deceive the elect. There is something subtle and clever going on here that you and I need to talk about because while on one hand, it seems like she's attracted to the faith, but also on the other hand, there's something deeply antagonistic to this faith that's being shared, which is point number two. It's really a poisoning of the gospel. And here's what I mean by this. Satan and the demons believe in God. And they shudder. This is, this is one of those passages, right? James quotes and says, you believe? Well, even the demons believe. 
and shudder. Matter of fact, Satan is a better theologian than anyone in this room and all of us combined. The problem is he knows, but he doesn't know. He, he knows, but he doesn't believe. There's a lot of people who know a lot about God, but they have not received that regeneration, new birth from God. See, Satan and the demons are locked into their eternal state of existence forever. They will never have the opportunity to believe and know and love God. So now what the tactic of the enemy is, is if I can come in and just distort a little bit, then he's going to make you twice a, a damnable person if you hadn't heard the truth. Tainted with a little bit of poison, right? The, the devil can tell you a hundred truthful things, but on that 101 thing he tells you can ruin the whole thing. This is what is going on here. Think about this with me, if you would. So she's following these guys day after day. She keeps crying out this, this testimony. It all seems good. But then all of a sudden, she continued doing this, and it annoyed Paul. And I, and I love this. This is how you know the word of God is from God, is because it gives us a passage like this, and it says, Paul moved with compassion, grabbed this daughter of Eve, and just stroked her head and said, it's going to be okay. He doesn't do that. He said, hey, come here wayward child, just come to know. He just is greatly annoyed. He's just greatly annoyed, right? And like, and, but he doesn't attack her. He goes for what he knows is the source of the poisoning, and that's the demon. And immediately that demon is cast out of her. And just, just so you know, the focus is on Christ. Anytime there is an exorcism, the focus is on Jesus. And it is only by his authority that the demons flee. And when they flee, it's not a lingering long term. It's an immediate obedience because even the demons obey Jesus. Even Satan is on a leash, and the length of that leash is determined by God. He is not an omnipresent, omniscient, omnip omnipotent being like God. Don't we give the demon and, and Satan too much credit? Yeah. And here we see once again who the true master is. Christ himself. So what you see is the extermination of, of evil. Even though this girl is experiencing oppression, she's enslaved spiritually, there is immediate deliverance in Christ. And all God's people said, Whoa, amen! See, here's what Paul was moved to do because he wasn't allowing this allegiance, this association to take place because all those people knew she was a spokesperson for the occult of Delphi and this python cult. And Paul says, a little bit of yeast leavens this whole lump. And it, he basically was saying to this young girl, we are not in association with each other. What you bring and I bring to the table, we're not, this is not a collaborative effort. Right? We are going to deal with this straight on, and it's not always evident on the, on, the, on the surface, but Satan's most subtle avenue is to think and breathe into even our churches. And I'm going to tell you right now, you think the devil is sowing tares among the wheat in our churches? Yes. And it's fully not apparent at times, right? No one ever gets up here and says, you know what, guys, I'm not a Christian. I disbelieve everything you guys believe. And I'm going to get in here and just subtly and slowly destroy and distort this thing. And yet it's happening all around us. Certain associations damage the message of Christ. 
Catholicism distorts and destroys the message of Christ. Mormonism destroys and distorts the message of Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses, fill in the blank, Scientology, whatever. Even though there's all this talk of, oh, but, they, but, they, but they use scripture, they talk about Jesus. And for the unaccustomed or untrained person, it would seem on the surface, oh, aren't we all just believers in Christ? No, we're not. And I'm going to be one of those guys where I'm going to encourage the church don't be bothered by trying to study all these world religions and all these spiritualities and all these faiths and all these cults. Know the truth of the word of God, and the moment you hear something false, it's going to light up like a bell in your head. When you handle the truth, the moment counterfeit drops into your lap, you know it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus dealt with demonic activity the same way Paul dealt with it here. He dealt with it immediately. He did not tolerate it. And did you know the demons were first to recognize the identity of Christ in the Gospels? And he was the first to say, leave and be silent. He rebuked them and they, he silenced them and he ordered them to leave. And that's how we deal with anything that tries to distort the Gospel message. Do you know the Gospel? so well, do you know the truths of God so well that if a little bit of heresy creeps in, you're able to detect it like that. That's the kind of, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of pastoring. Right? Because some of you are like, I'm going to go buy books on this and this, and you fill your library with all this stuff, and like, you have the best book there is, and it's called the Scriptures, the Bible. Know this truth, and when you handle this truth correctly and accurately, you'll be able to deal with any false truth that comes in. Be careful, the devil is wily. The devil is crafty. So much so, he's even able to deceive the elect. Wow. Can we, can we just stop playing games, right? Can we just stop thinking, but he's a Christian? Let's, let's just stop. Anyone who announces their Christianity, I'm going to take it at face value, but a deep dive sometimes discovers what's truly at the heart. But there's an oppression that's taking place that requires the people of the truth, people of the light, to engage. And that's what Paul does here. And praise God of his ability to deliver even the spiritually enslaved like this young slave girl. Woo! But not only that, point number two is that we see this picture of ownership and there's this woman that is enslaved physically. Ladies and gentlemen, this is human trafficking going on right here. Human trafficking is not a new contemporary issue. This has been with us for centuries. Can we just talk about human trafficking? We talked about a, a level of human trafficking even with the topic of abortion already today. Can you just think of anything more nasty than the exploitation of another human being for profit? Here's a woman who's being exploited reaping her master's fortunes. And yet she's held captive and enslaved because she has these earthly owners who don't want what's best for her. When you're driven by some sort of power or greed and you minimize another person's good and inherent and intrinsic value as a person created in the image of God, you're an exploiter. You're trafficking. Can I just speak to men and even maybe some of the women? Pornography is human exploitation. 
It is human trafficking. It is getting something out of somebody else where they may not even have a say in what they're doing, but somehow you're profiting from that person's negative experience. There are more people being human trafficked today than any other time in history. The U.S. Department of of um, State Department says human trafficking is the third most profitable criminal activity in the world. Each year, a million people are trafficked, and 50% of those are children. Sometimes children are, ki- children are kidnapped. Others are lured, lured with false promises of lucrative work. Instead, they become indentured servants of mines, sex workers, child soldiers, sweatshop slaves. 43% of human trafficking victims are in forced labor. 13% of human trafficking victims are exploited in a commercial sex trade. 44% of human trafficking victims are in forced marriages. At any given time, there are an estimated 50 million people in slavery. Human trafficking is a $150 billion criminal industry. And they always prey on the vulnerable for their own profit. And it is split almost evenly between male and female. We need to stop. We need to pray. Human trafficking is involved in the topic of abortion. It is involved in the topic of pornography. If you think you're divorced from this topic, you're not. And it's going to happen when the Super Bowl happens in our own city. And there are ministries and there are organizations that are ramping up right now because the lives of men and women that will be trafficked for sexual exploitation will be off the charts come Super Bowl next month. And we need to be praying. We need to be vigilant. We need to be aware of the ministries and the organizations out there trying to help people out of this horrible, horrible situation that the devil is just reeling in. How dare we treat another person as if they're chattel and a possession and something that we can use selfishly. See, this girl's owners care nothing for her well-being. They just wanted to use her. This is exploitation at its worst, right? They're exploiting her unfortunate condition for personal gain. They just come along, they see this woman put on a circus show, and they're like, let's just use her for our profit. And that's exactly what they do. They lure her in. And to them, she's proper to be owned, but she's not a person to be loved. And how dare we approach anybody But that sort of mentality? Every single person we come in contact with, we may not know their story, but I'll tell you what we do know about them, that they are a person who's created in the image of God and deserving of dignity and respect and value and significance. Every single person. And if her soul is being ravaged by hell and it brings them profit, well, then so be it. That's fine with us. That's their spirit. And Paul comes in and he threatens their precious income. And this is what, what happens. When people are more concerned about their wallet than they are about a person's soul, they will get mad at you when you interrupt their industry. Yeah, she may not look like everybody else. She may not act like anybody else, but she is deserving of love. I was thinking about uh, probably one of the best movies I saw last year. I haven't talked about movies too often. Some of you are like, does he even watch movies anymore? Because I love movies. I did compile my top 25 movies of 2022, so if you're interested in that list. But at the top is 
Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Not the Disney Pinocchio, the Netflix Pinocchio. And if you haven't seen it, it is one of the most gospel-laden Pinocchio stories you will ever see. See, the Disneyfication has happened to us, and it's ruined us. The Pinocchio of Disney is not the Pinocchio that was originally written in the 1800s. And I'm going to tell you, when you watch this Pinocchio, the gospel is interwoven throughout it. So much so, there is a scene. And don't worry, I'm not going to spoil the story for you. But the Pinocchio of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is a Christ figure. And after Giuseppe, Geppetto. Geppetto. One of those Italian names. I was just testing you guys. He loses his child. He becomes an alcoholic. And out of his rage and anger against God from taking his son Carlo, he's built a tree near the, his son's tomb, his, his burial spot, chops down the tree and is insistent, fighting against God, and he's going to create a boy from the tree. Creates the boy as a substitute, right? Like something's going to speak to my heart and bring healing. And so he creates Pinocchio. And an angel appears and brings, brings life into this wooden creature. And the, and the angel is eerily descriptive of what we see in the scriptures of what an angel looks like. So it's really interesting. But there's a scene when uh, Geppetto goes to church. And Geppetto's project in the entire movie is to finish the, the crucifix in the Catholic church in town. It's an undone project that Geppetto is working on. So he goes to worship at the church where there's this unfinished Jesus front and center. But Pinocchio, being the bad little boy that he is, doesn't stay at home like he's supposed to, but he walks into the church, and everyone in the church is aghast because they do not understand this creature that's made of wood who has life in it. And they're pointing at it, and they're going, it's a demon. The demon has come into our church. And he looks up at the cross of Christ, and he says, everyone likes him. Everyone's singing to him, and he's wooden just like me, but they're not giving me the same kind of love and treatment. And I just sat there and went, how many people feel that way? They may not fit your culture. They may not look like you. They may not act like you. They may not like the same things you do. But I'll tell you what, you say you believe in this redeemer and this creator of all things, and yet when something that comes into your life that is created in his image and you don't recognize it and you treat it less than human, who's the guilty one? Powerful. And that's just many gospel moments in this, in this movie. You got to see it. But after seeing, you may go, Scott, you're off your rocker. You have no idea what you're talking about. All right, fine. That's all right. It's good, though. And for that scene alone, for him to say they love him, but they can't stand me. You know what First John says? You say you love God and hate your brother. You're a liar. I don't know who's coming into your life that's tough to love, but they need to be loved. I don't know who's coming into your life that doesn't look like you and act like you. May make you feel socially awkward. <laughs> right? <laughs> they need to be loved. Amen? Now, you may not at that moment try to cast out a demon, but I'm going to tell you right now that there's a woman that now 
in Acts, who we don't know her name, she is suddenly, she has a new owner. And his name is the Good Shepherd. And his name is Jesus. And he frees her from her spiritual and physical bondage and he gives her peace, joy, freedom, and rest forever. Isn't that awesome? But then there's this last group we need to deal with. So we have this woman who's enslaved spiritually. She's delivered, and now she is in perfect freedom in Christ. She's enslaved physically, and she no longer belongs to these owners. She belongs to the, the great shepherd, the owner of her soul, the only owner that wants good for you. But now we got to deal with this group that's really ticked because they're thinking about their wallet and not this girl's good. Opposition in those enslaved economically. And I'm going to tell you right now, in the book of Acts, there are several instances when Paul and his entourage comes in with the gospel, and it really interrupts what's going on in the marketplace, and people do not sit silently and quietly and kindly by. When you bring Christ into a context, sometimes it stirs up resistance. Sometimes it stirs up opposition. Not that you're looking to intend to do that, but by its very nature, the gospel destroys certain idols. The gospel's destroying greed and materialism right here in Philippi. And here we see these, these guys. So when their master saw, verse 19, their hope of profit was gone. Not that they're celebrating a changed life. All they're thinking about, again, is their money. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the market before the authorities. They bring him before the chief magistrates. And they basically perpetuate two lies. These guys are not honest, and we see it even here with Paul and Silas, and they bring forth two accusations, accusation one having to do with religion, and accusation number two having to do with racism. And let me just tell you how blind people are when it comes to spiritual reality, because the love of money will blur your spiritual perception. The love of any idol will blur your spiritual per perception. The problem was that their hearts were in their wallets. And what's interesting is Luke says, as soon as the Spirit left her, the prophets left them. And Luke wants you to understand these guys are only thinking selfishly here. And when selfish greed is more important than selfless good, there's a problem. And so they incite a mob. Look what happens. These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. There's the racism. Now, remember last week, there are not enough Jewish men in Philippi, which is a big city, to even have a synagogue. It took 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue. There's no, there's no synagogue. Matter of fact, there's no Jewish men. All they found was a group of Jewish women down by the river. Do you think racism is a problem in Philippi? Yes. And they leverage this racial pride to get rid of Paul and Silas. Notice Luke and Timothy aren't in the arrest. Why? Because Luke and Timothy were Roman citizens. They get off. They, they escape. But Paul and Silas do not, even though Paul and Silas are also Roman citizens. But they don't play that card because Paul was willing to endure hostility for the sake of the gospel. 
We're going to talk about this more next week. This is intense. He does play his Roman citizenship card eventually, but he doesn't do it now. We don't know if he tried to and they ignored him or they were so just angry that they just were seething and they couldn't see in spiritual reality. But here they are, and they are underneath these accusations that play into these people's patriotism and their prejudice. These men are bringing teachings that go against our Roman culture. Now, mind you, the Roman culture believed in a lot of gods. But they're talking about the most high God. Why is most high God important? Because most high God was the phrase even Satan himself used in Ezekiel 14 when he thought he can compete and go higher than God himself. That's why that phrase, most high God. Even the Romans believed in a most high God. But when you put the name Jesus on that most high God, you start to create a riot. Jesus is not one of many gods. Jesus is the only God. Having done ministry in India, the land of 333 million gods, you try to preach the exclusivity of Christ among that, it does not be, it's not responded to kindly. If you're ever in India, you're dry, there's temples and there's shrines all over the place. And they've got gods to snails, they've got gods to tacos, they've got gods to all sorts of things. But ladies and gentlemen, when you start preaching the exclusivity of Jesus and that there's only one God and that God will reign for eternity and you must come to know him to have everlasting life, that does not fall on, 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 on hearts easily. So these people create a riot. And they arrest Paul through their exaggeration and lies. So accusation number one is the religion. They were not throwing the city into confusion. They were not proclaiming unlawful customs. It was fine for, for any Roman to become a Jew. But again, the religion was a problem and the racism was deeply entrenched. And let me just tell you right now, there is no place for either one of those. And these men are beaten for what they know to be true. And they still submit to the authorities as they're being bit, beaten for the glory of God. Now, what happens in the prison, we'll save for next week. But on this note of, of especially racism, ladies and gentlemen, let's pray for our nation. We need to once again pray for our nation with the video that was just relief, released out of Memphis. Uh, officers put on administrative leave. Um, we still see this horrible mistreatment of people, men, women, and, and I want us to be a better people. I want us to be a better people that love all people, no matter the color of their skin, no matter the sexual orientation of your life, no matter your political assuasions, whether you're Democrat or Republican. Jesus hates both, FYI. Um, I just want you to know that we are called to be better to see all people as image bearers of the great and most high God that we have come to love and adore and worship through Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Amen. We can do better. Let's be voices of reason in our communities. Let's accept one another because when, when the flesh is all peeled off, we all have the same soul, we all have the same heart, we all have the same mind created by God, and every person has the opportunity to know him. Let us help in that. Let's promote the gospel because nothing else is worth promoting. And the gospel is for all people. And I pray that you're the recipient of this gospel. 
Do you know this Jesus that I speak of today? Do you know the most high God that has come to us in the personal work of Christ and shown us grace that we have never deserved, extends to us mercy that we do not even have a, never thought possible, and to have forgiveness of our sins and to have those sins no longer held against us. When you're in Christ, you are loved perfectly forever. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, for the, the message of hope and the message of, of joy and the message of forgiveness and the message of grace and the message of mercy and the message of kindness and this message of compassion. All those things are found in Christ. Lord, it is amazing because we all uh, struggle with the presence of evil and we all struggle with the presence of injustice and we all struggle with the, the topic of unforgiveness and, and it's driving us into so many different places and so many different corners and to be part of so many different tribes and yet all of those things are met in the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We cannot and nor should we go anywhere else. But life begins at the cross of Christ. We see that in Acts. We see that in the life of a woman named Lydia. We see this in the slave girl we were able to look at today. Thank you, O oh God, for the word of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is on us. He has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Help us, oh God, our Heavenly Father, with that assignment to be men and women who proclaim the good news of life in Christ. Thank you for today. Thank you for being such a good and generous and gracious God. Help us to glorify you through our words and our actions forever and ever. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face towards you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day.